electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. This is Squawk Pod. I'm CNBC producer Katie Kramer. Today on our podcast, the biggest fuel pipeline in the country still shut down. The implications of the Colonial Pipeline ransomware attack with Senator Mark Warner. Fiber is always kind of a boring item until it hits home. This is asymmetric type of battle. This is something where a second tier power can take on, you know, the largest economy in the world. The NFT market, don't punk out. There could be $17 million on the line. You got your eye on one of the punks, Andrew? Which, which one uh, Which one caught your, your just, fancy? Just you. Just... just you. Those stories, plus a dip into the red on Wall Street, and Joe Kernan is heading back in time. I don't know. I'm having like this horrible deja vu from what happened in the 70s, and, and there's no Reagan on the horizon. Let's see how things pan out. It's Wednesday, May 12th, 2021. Squawk Pod begins right now. Good morning, everybody. Welcome to Squawk Box here on CNBC. I'm Becky Quick, along with Joe Kernan and Andrew Ross Sorkin. And boy, what a wild ride yesterday for the markets. If you weren't paying attention, you missed out. Let's take a look at what happened with yesterday's volatile session. This was one of the wildest days for the year for stocks. Big tech, you know, we were here yesterday morning and we were looking at stocks, those big tech stocks especially, that were under big pressure. Now, they did take a big hit at the start of the day, and then the selling spread to the rest of the market as the day went on. But then then there was this crazy late twist where the tech shares rebounded, coming almost all the way back and in some cases even into positive territory. But they left the rest of the market in the red. The Nasdaq dragging everything down. But then right around 11 a.m. or so, things started to pick up. And then it was really at the end of the session where things looked so strong. But again, the Dow getting left behind. And it was those big tech names, once again, that really were the ones to focus on. Amazon and Netflix both finished the day higher by more than 1%. Facebook reversed losses to close slightly higher. And it was, again, really something to watch. Saw Netflix up by about 1.7%. Uh, Tesla shares had been down really sharply. They came back to just a little bit down by the end of the day. This morning with the Squawk Stack, we're focusing once again on some of those commodity prices that have been uh, running up ever so sharply. Copper, we told you yesterday, had closed Monday at an all-time high. It was up another 1% yesterday. That's four out of five sessions that it's been higher. Then there's crude oil, which uh, yesterday was up another half a percent. And this morning, it's up another six-tenths of a percent to 65 570. Finally, take a look at soybeans, uh, up another 1.75%, highest level for the close for soybeans yesterday since September of 2012. Soybeans, $16, $16.42. That is, uh, remember 13 and 14, but you hear my reference to the 70s, uh, Andrew's next story about the Pipeline. I mean, I don't think you guys remember, and you're lucky you weren't around in the 70s because if you were, you're old. But no, I do remember in the back of the station wagon waiting in line. You needed odd and even license plates depending on when you could go get it. But exactly, so th- which day this, this is the go, deja right. vu. This is the deja vu I'm having. I mean, the Middle East. Uh, oh, I thought it was going the punks Cro- that you were crime in New about. York. Crime in New York City. The Middle East. Gas lines. Um, inflation. 
I mean, all these things are happening again. The only thing we don't have are hostages in Iran and taxes going up. We don't have high interest rates and the stock market looks good for now, but it just is starting to look. I, I don't know. I'm having like this horrible deja vu from what happened in the 70s. And, and there's no Reagan on the horizon that's going to come in and fix all these things. Sorkin, you know what I'm saying? That, who, who do we have that when this Carter redux presidency is over, who do we have that's going to come in here and take the, you know, start a new bull market and, you know, all, all, you know, all the things that were going on back then, the hyperinflation, the stagflation, the high interest rate, I, all the things that could happen. Who's going to save us? We don't have anyone. Like Let, said, let's see how things pan out. Let, let's see how things pan maybe out. Maybe it's not going to happen. I, I, maybe, I don't maybe. know if we're going to compare him to Carter just yet. Uh, on a on a um, on just, like a, just a year over a year over year basis, <laughs> it is worth pointing out. Given that we used to talk about the Trump bump constantly, I know uh, the, that the you, markets you could, are doing You well. make the argument there's been a much larger Biden bump. So yeah, um, well, well, you know, it's sort of an extension. We'll, we'll have to see sort of a, a continuation. Oh, sort of an extension. Sort of like the extension that we used to talk about <laughs> from that might have extended from the, the press. <laughs> yeah. Right. Right. No, right. Okay. right. Which Obama came from uh, the, the Bush years. Oh, no, wait. That was a financial crisis. Oh, well, I, go on. I, yeah. I don't think so in that case. Okay. Uh, we've got an update, though, as Joe just mentioned, on the fallout from the cyber attack on the Colonial Pipeline as of this morning. Uh, Florida, Georgia, Virginia, North Carolina have all declared a state of emergency as each look to shore up fuel supplies. According to Gas Buddy, as of 11 p.m. Eastern time last night, 16 percent uh, off all uh, North Carolina gas stations are now out of gasoline. Either some or all grades of octane, 10 percent for Virginia, 10 percent for Georgia, 8 percent for South Carolina, 3 percent for Florida. Now, according to Energy Secretary Jennifer Granholm, Colonial expected to make a decision on fully resuming operations by the end of today. Even after that decision is made, it will take a few days to ramp up operations. This pipeline has never been shut down before. It travels great distances. So it will take a few days to be up and running. But yes, Joe, uh, I, I, I don't remember because I, th- I, I wasn't there to remember. You read but, about uh, it. And you've, read, you've written about it. I read about it. I, I, I read about it. I don't, I don't know if I've written about it, I, but I did read about it uh, back we in may the have 70s. Some time. It sounds like Becky was experiencing it herself. Yeah. But do you, do you know any really tall central bankers? Do you know anyone that, you know, really, <laughs> like, in case we need to, to call one in Imposing, here? Imposing, ready to smack down right. on any like, of this inflation, get like, your whip inflation yeah. now pin out? Who do we know? Who do we know that's tall enough? Uh, for that. We need to we need to think about that. The White House is now partnering with Uber and Lyft to provide free rides to and from vaccination sites until July 4th. Now, White House COVID coordinator Jeff Zients uh, detailing the new steps in a call yesterday with governors. Feature will launch in the next two weeks. The administration's been looking for ways to incentivize people to get vaccinated as demand has eroded in recent weeks and Uber and Lyft stepping up to help them do that. Uh, pretty Pretty cool thing. So, uh, let's see uh, if it uh, if it helps get more people uh, the jab, as they say. Next on Squawk Pod, evaluating cyber risks in the wake of the Colonial Pipeline attack. Virginia Democrat Mark Warner, chair of the Senate Intelligence Committee. We have treated cyber, unfortunately, as an afterthought for a long, long time. The number of companies that are getting hit on a regular basis with ransomware attacks and quietly paying in Bitcoin or other cryptocurrencies. I think what shocked most folks in business 
We'll be right back. What's on the horizon for financial markets? At PGIM, it's a question that over 1,400 investment professionals relentlessly research in pursuit of your long-term goals. Specialized across asset classes, but united in collaboration, our teams provide global and local expertise. Our investments shape tomorrow, today. Pursue your tomorrow with PGIM, a leading global asset manager. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. So you need a business partner just like you. Like FedEx, who understands your passion for serving your customers because they have the same commitment towards you. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. What's more, FedEx Ground is faster to more locations than UPS Ground. Trust FedEx for timely deliveries. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively FedEx. This is Squawk Pod. Good morning and welcome to Squawk Box here on CNBC. I'm Joe Kerner along with Becky Quick uh, and Andrew Ross. Here's some of the stories that investors, it says here, will be talking about today. I don't know if we really know that uh, for sure. It's possible. Becky. The cyber attack on the Colonial Pipeline. Colonial sent workers to manually release some fuel supplies today. But we've seen more long lines at service stations. And GasBuddy says almost a third of stations in Metro Atlanta, Raleigh and Charlotte were without fuel. Gas prices hitting their highest levels since at least 2014, just as Americans are expected to start driving more. Joining us right now to talk about Congress's potential response to the cyber attack is the chairman of the Senate Intelligence Committee, Virginia Senator Mark Warner. And, Senator, as the the head of the Intelligence Committee, do you know more about what happened here than we do? Well, I know that we are seeing gas lines in northern Virginia starting last night. I know this is a ransomware attack, and it uh, shows that when a a criminal element, and we do believe this is criminal rather than a nation state, goes against any individual company, uh, no matter how how good they are, um, you can't be perfect all the time. My concern is this. We see the effect of this ransomware attack against one pipeline company. We saw last end of last year the SolarWinds attack, which was generated by Russia, that hit 18,000 companies. Luckily, that was only a, a espionage where they were trying to exfiltrate information. Let's imagine what would happen if we combined. If suddenly you had somebody shutting down 18,000 companies across our economy, we would come to a grinding halt. And we have no actual system in place to make whether it's Colonial Pipeline or SolarWinds or any other company actually mandatorily report that information to the government in real time so that we could have a full-fledged response. We need to put in place an entity that would include the government, the FBI, CISA, but also some of the web services, Amazon, Microsoft, some of the security firms out there We need a real-time reaction team, and unfortunately, we don't have that right now. And we are uh, cyber is always kind of a boring item until it hits home. And what I'm just mostly thinking about, if you combine the pipeline ransomware with the 18,000 supply chain attack that took place, you've got a potential disaster. 
And that's just the ones we know about. So you want a mandatory reporting, meaning that if any company is affected, any government entity, they would have to report through and have the best in the business kind of working to help them out with that. But that's we've got a we've long got those way kind of model. feeling safe about things. Now, we've got those models in place, the National Transportation Safety Board. Um, there, are, there are kind of early warning systems in the financial system. We would provide that company with a limited immunity. We keep the information confidential. Um, we have treated cyber, unfortunately, as an afterthought for a long, long time. And as you pointed out, the number of companies that are getting hit on a regular basis with ransomware attacks and quietly paying in Bitcoin or other cryptocurrencies, I think would shock most folks in business. Uh, we're potentially seeing now you know, this the cyber criminals get better. The nation states like Russia and China uh, get more exquisite on their uses. And yes, there are things we can all do with better cyber hygiene, but a talented first tier adversary against virtually any private sector company, I'm going to probably count that the uh, first tier adversary is going to get through a company's defenses. You know, you, you bring up a very valid point that this is something the government should be working on and needs the information to be doing that. But I will say companies are probably reluctant to do it because of the liability factor. You just mentioned limited liability. What, what does that mean? If a company comes forward and tells you what's happened, they're not responsible. It's not going to be that information is then no. not going to be used against them in civil or criminal lawsuits. No. Five or six years ago, we created a voluntary sharing of information with a limited liability protection. Uh, we're saying, and I think most companies now, even some of the major business organizations, now realize we need some mandatory level of reporting. So this, what we're talking about is immunity to give it to this immunity, res a, a incident response, quick response team. If the company still has an obligation to the SEC on a breach notification, you know, that is a separate question and issue. We need to make sure we're able to put out these fires real time and not have, as we did in SolarWinds or the Microsoft Hafnium hack, the bad guys inside our systems for literally months without knowing, or in the case of the pipeline, uh, this is, again, more of a one-off ransomware, but this same criminal group coming out of Russia could potentially have used similar exploits to attack a variety of systems, and the sooner we know that, the better we can respond. You sound like it's, it's something we need to work on, but I'm not convinced it's necessarily your top concern. Jay Powell did say in an interview recently, the chairman of the Fed, that he thinks it's his top concern, cybersecurity. Is it yours as well? Listen, as chairman of the Intelligence Committee, this definitely is one of the top three. And we are working on a broadly bipartisan bill that I think will have you know, enormous industry support. Uh, this is This is unfortunately for most CEOs, a secondary matter. And we don't build in enough good cyber hygiene. We don't put enough cyber defenses into the systems that we, we construct. And we, we frankly have no immediate response system. The idea that these companies are being hit every day on a regular basis for ransomware, or that you've got you know, our adversaries like Russia and China exploiting actual espionage data or intellectual property, these are two parallel problems. You put them together and you have something that's completely through your supply chain and the bad guys decide they don't want to simply take out information, but they want to turn turn off mm -hmm. all these systems, as you're seeing with Colonial pipeline, Pipelines. 
then you've got a, a real economic disaster on its hand. And this is asymmetric type of battle. This is something where a second tier power can take on you know, the largest economy in the world. Senator, I want to get your reaction to to one other item. Yesterday, we spoke with Stan Druckenmiller, the noted investor, and we were talking to him about government spending and the possibility of overstimulating the economy. Listen in. Here's here's what he had to say. I understand why the Fed and Congress did what they did at the time. I think it was the right decision on a risk-reward basis. But when the facts change, you have to change. And the facts have changed dramatically since then. And yes, I don't think, I can't find any period in history where monetary and fiscal policy were this out of step with the economic circumstances, not one. What do you think about that, Senator Warner? I think that history will look back and say the fact that we put $5 trillion into the economy, three and a half trillion of that in a broadly bipartisan way prevented an economic catastrophe. Uh, we had an economy that was totally shutting down. We are still putting out money to businesses, restaurants on a regular basis. That will spend out literally uh, over the next year. Much of the money that's going to state and local government, they've not even received the first payment. And we do have a, a robust recovery coming. But to somehow say that we should not, um, at this same time, recognizing if we put an infrastructure program in place that that will spend out over the next five to seven years if we don't recognize the reality that we are spending 50% less on our country's infrastructure today than we were 25 years ago, then you just don't have the facts. And we are losing, we are losing our competitive edge when other countries have first world infrastructure from train to road to airports, and we have third world infrastructure. It is an issue, and we will continue to see. You think we'll get bipartisan? I know you, we've got to run, but you think we'll get a bipartisan deal open. here? I, or I, is, I'm still or open. No? Listen, I'm part of any, every bipartisan gang there is. I work in the only place in America where being a gang member is a good thing. <laughs> Senator Warren, thank you. Coming up next on Squawk Pod, CNBC's Robert Frank on plunging tech fortunes and the NFTs that are making history. This just shows the strength not just of the NFT market, which had showed signs of cooling, but also the overall collectible market, which just continues to soar higher. You're listening to Squawk Pod. Good morning and welcome back to Squawk Box right here on CNBC. I'm Andrew Ross Sorkin along with Becky Quick and Joe Kernan. Tech sector volatility causing the fortunes of some tech billionaires to change dramatically. Robert Frank joins us with more on that story. Robert. Good morning, Andrew. The recent drop in the Nasdaq erasing more than $1 trillion in shareholder wealth. Elon Musk down about $30 billion just over the past month with that decline in Tesla shares. He is now flat for the year based on his existing shares Though, of course, he continues to receive billions from that giant pay package. And he is still the second richest person in the world at around $170 billion, just behind Jeff Bezos. Bezos's net worth is down about $7 billion over the past month and $2 billion for the year. But he is raising a lot of cash right now. He just sold another $1.7 billion in stock, bringing his total for the month to over $6.5 billion. Uh, all that from prearranged share sales, his net worth still at $188 billion. And another smart seller has been Alex Karp, of course, the CEO of Palantir, 
Those shares down over 40 percent from their peak. Carp is worth right now about one point eight billion, but he has sold over four hundred million in shares and he received options and grants worth over a billion dollars last year. And finally, Eric Yuan, the CEO of Zoom Video, he has seen his net worth down about $6 billion as Zoom's share price has fallen by near the, nearly half. But before the big decline, he transferred 40% of his shares, or about $6 billion, to various trusts and undisclosed recipients. The company saying all of that was for estate planning reasons. Andrew? Pretty, pretty wild. Pretty wild. But uh, we also need to ask you about the big night for NFTs at Christie's. Lot number 11. He's ready for the crypto punks. The very first NFT art collection on the Ethereum blockchain. Because that set of nine crypto punk NFTs sold for $17 million, which was roughly double what people had expected, right? Yeah. So this is now what is believed to be the second highest price ever fetched for an NFT, even though technically this is a series of NFTs. $14 million, $500,000 for the CryptoPunks here at Christie's. Sold to you. Now, re- remember, the, the uh, CryptoPunks are a series of 10,000 little uh, pixelated characters that were created by an algorithm at Larva Lab. So there are only 10,000. The rarest of these are the aliens. There are only nine of those in the 10,000. So one of this group was an alien. Now, Previously, one of those aliens sold for seven and a half million. So we knew this price would be high. The estimate was originally seven to nine million. It crushed it at 17 million. And the NFT community went wild saying that price was too low. In fact, they thought it would go much higher given that one of those was a was a rare alien. We also saw last night, just given the whole raging mania and liquidity bubble continuing. Eighty one million dollars for the Basquiat. To you, Anna Maria. Thank you. This Basquiat, which was estimated at 50 million, sold for 93 million dollars. Uh, and, and again, this just shows the strength, not just of the NFT market, right. which had showed signs of cooling, but also the overall collectible market, which just continues to soar higher. Robert, the, the $17 million NFT, uh, the set there, can they now break that set up if they want and sell them off separately? Is one or two of them going to be more valuable than the collection? Yes and yes. Uh, I, I suspect, you know, what we saw with some early Beeple sales, Beeple, of course, still holds the record at $69 million with his NFT that also sold at Christie's. Uh, previous Beeples had been purchased and broken up and resold for more than the original sale price. We don't know who bought this. Maybe we'll find out. Maybe we'll have that person on Squawk Box. Uh, but, but yes, that is a common practice. And it's likely that somebody will split off the alien and maybe one or two other characters and sell them for even more. Wow. Robert Frank, educating us on the world of money. Uh, Big money, we should call it. Robert Frank, thank you. Appreciate it. Joe? You got your eye on one of the punks, Andrew? Which one one caught your your fancy? Just you. Just Just you. No, to one of the crypto punks. I I got it. I just thought you could do better. But you don't like any? Are there any of them that you've got your eye on? Which one are that that you saw? How many were there? Weren't there? I uh, thought there were nine, right? I don't know. I, what, yeah, I, I, but but what's the coolest? What's the most valuable one? Do you think? Robert said I, the alien. I don't know. It's, the alien, it's in the eye of the beholder. Seventeen million. So those little things are worth like two million a piece. I think. I like that little guy. What do you I, think about that little guy with the sunglasses? I, I, I need more. Um, I don't know. Backwards. I don't. I. I'm not. I gotta think about this. 
I need this explained to me a little better. I think I'm not. I'm not I'm, I mean, Bitcoin. I understand. I, I, this is a, maybe a bridge too far. Uh, I got to work on it. Staying alive, which was the song of the '70s, does it not have a whole new meaning after the last year that we've seen? Staying alive, kind of, uh, kind of scary, uh, given the pandemic and everything else. But um, maybe Becky, will you? Would you mind singing uh, maybe? A you disco want to sing inferno it for you? or something? Staying alive, staying alive. How's that? Not bad. We needed you to do that to get the the, the Bee Gees uh, to that, that tremolo. That was pretty good. That that's going to make the end of uh, year real. And that's Squawk Pod for today, this day in 2021. Squawk Box is hosted by Joe Kernan, Becky Quick, and Andrew Ross Sorkin. Tune in weekday mornings on CNBC at 6 Eastern to get the smartest takes and analysis from our TV show right into your ears. Subscribe to Squawk Pod wherever you get your podcasts. Follow us on Twitter at Squawk CNBC, and we'll meet you back here tomorrow. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. FedEx Ground service is also faster to more locations than UPS Ground. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively, FedEx.